welcome to episode one of The Killer Kind. I am so excited to be here and I hope that you are as well. Now, if this is the first time that you're hearing my voice, then I hope that you will hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. And I also hope if you listen to the whole episode that you leave a nice five-star review at the end as well to help a girl out. Now, before we get started, I want to kind of give you an idea of who I am. So, basically, I'm a mom. I had my first child beginning of this year, and I'm a wife of almost five years. And, you know, I love my family and I love my life, but I also love true crime. And I've had someone ask me one time, what is it about it? Like, why do you enjoy it? So I'm going to give my explanation. You may have something different and I would love to hear your reasoning why. But for me, I've always said I want to know just how evil the world actually is. And that's sad and some people don't want to hear it. But for me, that's what it is. I want to know what situations to avoid or what red flags to look for when I'm out or even when I'm in, you know, what what could I do different in my life to avoid situations? Now, most of the time, in reality, that's not how it works. You know, you, you can't avoid a killer because you don't know who who is one. You don't know half the time, you know, what people are capable of. But I also look at it, too, like a learning experience in a sense that what can I do to help others avoid this situation? What red flags can I look for when I'm just out in public? You know, like, for example, like, I'm not going to be the friend that leaves the friend at the bar. But maybe you don't think about that when you're out. You don't think that, hey, that guy your friend's talking to could be a serial killer. No, I think like that. (laughs) So I'm not going to leave her or him, whoever, alone with a murderer, potentially. (laughs) So that's what I mean. And I hope that you can kind of take something from each case that we talk about here on The Killer Kind and just look and see what ways can you help society and or how you can keep society safe. I hope that makes sense. I hope you understand where I'm coming from. Enough rambling. Let's go ahead and get started and discuss Case 1, Episode 1, The Tragic Story of Savannah Spurlock. Savannah Spurlock was born on January 5, 1996, to the parents of Cecil and Ellen Spurlock. Savannah's parents separated when she was young, but by all accounts, she had a great relationship with both parents and she lived a very happy life. Savannah was on the dance team throughout her middle school and high school years, where she was very outgoing and got along great with everyone, according to her friends and family. Savannah went on to graduate from Madison Central High School and began attending Eastern Kentucky University in Richmond. Richmond is actually where Savannah was currently living at the time of her disappearance. She was living with her mom and sister and four boys. During her freshman year at EKU, Savannah received the Outstanding First Year Freshman Award and was able to meet the president of the university, making this a good start to her college career. However, around her sophomore year in college, Savannah became pregnant with her first child, and shortly after, she decided to take a step back from school and really focus on being a mom. Savannah did not maintain a relationship with the father of her first child, but later met a new guy named Shaquille Smith. 
And the two of them ended up dating off and on for a few years where she ended up having three more children, two of which were actually a set of twins that Savannah gave birth to just five weeks prior to her disappearance. Now, at the time of the birth of her twin boys, Savannah and Shaquille were no longer together. But he has mentioned a few times in interviews that I've seen saying that he and Savannah were on good terms at the time. So this is where I want to jump into the timeline, and I want to start on the day before she goes missing. So on January 3rd, 2019, Savannah was just over a month out from having her twin boys, like I mentioned. And with the encouragement from her mom, Ellen, she decided to go for a night out with some friends to blow off some steam and have some time for herself. So Savannah ends up borrowing her mom's car and leaves her house in Richmond with a girlfriend around 9 p.m. that night. They had planned to meet up with a guy friend who lives in Lexington, and which is about a 30-minute drive. So that's what they do. They drive to this guy's house, and they drop off the car that Savannah was driving. And the two girls end up riding with this guy friend to the bar in Lexington called The Other Bar. Now this is where the timeline gets a little iffy. So, some reports say that the three friends end up meeting a group of people at this bar and are seen hanging out with them at some point during the night. Now, I'm not exactly sure who these people were. Um, I don't know if they're guys, girls, a mix, or, you know, what the situation is. However, this may help us kind of understand the situation a little more. So, this guy friend that Savannah goes to the bar with ends up basically saying at some point in the night, look, I've got to be up early, so I'm going to head out. So he leaves the two girls at the bar. And then at some point later, Savannah's girlfriend wants to leave as well. But Savannah does not. She is not interested in leaving. She wants to stay out a little longer. But like I said, the girlfriend does not. So this causes a little bit of an argument. And the girlfriend actually ends up leaving Savannah alone at the bar to go home. Well, again, she probably just left her with this group of people. But still, no matter the situation, you should never leave a friend somewhere with people you don't know. You really have to stick together. And I'm not blaming this friend for anything. I just, I'm pointing this out because it's really important no matter what the outcome could be. And no matter what the argument is, don't leave someone alone. But either way, let's move on. So now the bar is set to close at 2.30 a.m. And we find out later that Savannah ends up leaving this bar with three men around that time. But at around 3 a.m., her mom wakes up and realizes that Savannah is not home yet, so she gives her a call. Now, there's a couple of reports that say she called and she talked to her for a second, but then the call cut out. Or another report says that she called and she didn't get an answer at all. But either way, Savannah ends up calling her mom on FaceTime, and when she does this, it's clear to Ellen that Savannah is in a car with two men and her daughter's very clearly intoxicated. However, she does not to, does not appear to be in any kind of distress or worried or seem to be in danger at all. She just is saying, Mom, don't worry. I'll be home in a couple hours. Now, it's important to note that Ellen says in an interview later that these two men were actually heckling Ellen the whole time Savannah was on the phone with her, basically just saying, she's fine, chill out, you know, trying to get her off the phone, basically. So, She's a little bothered by that, but again, you know, she trusts her daughter. She's not too worried, just tells her to be careful, and, you know, we'll see you in a couple hours. So Ellen goes back to sleep and eventually wakes back up around 8 a.m., and now remember, this is the early morning of January 4th, and when Ellen wakes up and realizes that her daughter is still not home, she is obviously a little concerned, so she calls her daughter, and she gets 
no answer. It could actually go straight to her voicemail. She tries calling her back a few more times, and she still gets no answer from her daughter. So she ends up calling one of her best friends, Sabrina, and asks if she's seen or heard from Savannah. Now, Sabrina says no. The last time I talked to her was around 6 p.m. the night before. So at this point, Ellen's pretty worried. So she keeps calling around to more of Savannah's friends and even some family members and just, and everyone says the same thing, that they have not seen or heard from Savannah. So later that afternoon, Ellen ends up going to the police station and filing a missing persons report. After that, though, she kind of keeps her own investigation going. She gets groups of people together, groups of family, groups of friends to drive around and just kind of look for Savannah on their own. Now, when the police receive the missing persons report, they immediately start questioning Savannah's friends and family, and especially the people that she went out with the night before, just trying to kind of get more information and and rule rule out people in her close circle. So, all of these people are cleared, and and really nothing comes from it. There's no leads, nothing really jumpstarts anything, except for the conversation that they had with Savannah's mom who told them the story about Savannah calling around 3 a.m. And she can see that she's in the car with two men. The men are just kind of being disrespectful to Ellen. But other than that, you know, Ellen doesn't know who they were. You know, there's not too much to go on. So with no luck, the police end up going to the other bar, which is where Savannah had been the night before. And they pull surveillance footage to see if they can figure out who Savannah left the bar with. Now, right away, the police can clearly see in the footage that she leaves the bar with three men getting into a black Chevrolet truck with two of them. And it's clear that the third friend ends up leaving in a separate car. But again, this doesn't really help them identify them. So what they do is they end up releasing the surveillance footage to the media and to the public and just trying to find anybody who can identify these men. Initially, they're not suspects. They're not, the police are not saying that. What they're saying is we just want to talk to them. They're clearly some of the last few people to see Savannah. So they definitely want to speak to them and at least rule them out or find out what happened after she left the bar. So while trying to figure out who these men were, a police officer in Garrett County spots a truck that matches the description of the truck in the surveillance footage. He actually pulls this guy over and realizes the guy driving the vehicle also matches the description of the man from the video or one of the men from the video. So the officer asks him to come in for questioning and he does so. So the police determine this guy is actually David Sparks, a 23-year-old from Garrett County, which I'll stop and say it's about 40 miles south of Lexington where Savannah had been the night before and where the bar was. So, just to give you an idea, that's about an hour drive. And this guy, David, pretty much confirms what the police already know. That he left the bar with Savannah and two of his friends. He said they all planned to go back to his house and just hang out for a little bit. But what ends up happening is the two other guys end up leaving shortly after they get there. And that leaves Savannah and him there together. And she ends up staying the night. Now, he says that she woke him up asking for the address around 8.30 or so, and he ended up going back to sleep after he gives her this address, and he says that he wakes up again around noon, and she's gone. She's not there. So, obviously, the cops want to confirm this story. So, first thing they do after talking to David is they track down the other two guys. Now, 
they basically say the same thing. They confirm David's story that they don't know what happened to her because they left pretty early. You know, they had a good time, but they they left. She didn't leave when they left. They left. They don't know what happened after that. Now, police share this story with Savannah's family. And honestly, they straight up just don't buy it. They think that all three men are not telling the whole story and that they definitely know more than they're letting on. And of course, I mean, it's a little suspicious, but at the same time, you know, your buddy brings back a girl. I I don't think you're going to stay there the whole night, you know, like maybe you just leave and kind of let them do whatever they're going to do. You know, that's not too suspicious, but I understand the family, you know, you were there. There's got to be more of the story. So I totally feel for them and I understand their suspicions. And, and honestly, the police kind of feel the same way, but they start searching David's house because clearly he is the last known person to see Savannah. And so they just want to confirm that nothing happened to Savannah in that house. But what they end up finding is a smear of blood on one of David's closet doors. Now, Even more suspicious, they actually find out that one of David's neighbors has a surveillance camera on the outside of their home. And when they pull that footage, they can clearly see David's house. And they go back to the early morning hours of the 4th, and they see that all four arrive at David's house, and they all get out of the car and go inside. They also confirm that the two of the men that were with David and Savannah ended up leaving later that morning. So that story is confirmed. It shows them leaving. However, what they don't see on the surveillance footage is Savannah ever leaving the home. So this pretty much blows up the investigation. They start searching all over David's property as well as the entire street that he lives on. They knock on doors. They talk to neighbors. And and what they find out from another neighbor is He saw David going to and from his house quite often that next morning. Basically just, you know, putting stuff in his truck, kind of coming back and forth, leaving, going back to his house, you know, etc. So the police end up broadening their search to David's parents' property as well. Now, David's parents, to give you an idea, is only a few minute drive from his house. So he has pretty easy access. So, of course, this is one property they want to search as well. So they end up doing a pretty big search of David's parents' property, and they have a big yard and a, and a cornfield just off of their property as well. So they search that, and they have pretty high hopes that they will find Savannah during this search. However, they really turn up nothing besides that one trace of blood that was in David's home. Everything else just continues to lead them to a dead end. And after the initial search turns up with no luck, Savannah's family actually offers a reward to whoever can find Savannah or to whoever can provide information leading them to her. Six months actually go by with no leads and no one coming forward with any valid information. The family does not stop searching, obviously. They continue to put information out there about the case. They continue to kind of put the word out about Savannah. And they even created a Missing Savannah Facebook page where they posted these updates of the case and and just kind of kept her memory alive there. And they actually ended up with the initial reward with being $10,000. They actually upped it during this time to $15,000, just really hoping that someone would come forward. However, on July 10th, police get a call from the attorney of David Sparks' father. He actually reports a foul odor coming from the back of his property. He actually reports 
a foul odor from coming from the back of David Sparks' father's property. Search units were sent out to the area right away, and they pretty much went straight to the cause of the odor. A policeman was reported saying that when, once you stepped foot on the property, you could you could smell this horrible smell. So they didn't have to do much searching. And it was confirmed on July 10th, 2019, that police found the buried body of Savannah Spurlock. Savannah had been buried in a 19-inch grave. She was completely naked but covered in several trash bags. She was also buried with some of her belongings and a rug that was rumored to be from David's house. Around 2 a.m. on July 11th, following the search, police arrested David Sparks. Now, they initially only charged him with tampering with physical evidence and with abuse of a corpse. And Sparks ended up pleading not guilty at the time of his arrest. After the family learned of this horrific news, they were obviously very upset, but they released a statement saying, We have fought a very public fight, and now we must step away and grieve privately. And Savannah was laid to rest on July 16th with a funeral service given at a local funeral home in Richmond. Now, in late August, a Garrett County grand jury indicted David Sparks on a murder charge in addition to the two initial charges he was already facing. Now, that really is the conclusion of Savannah's story as of now. There has been no cause of death released, oddly enough, and there has been no further information released by the police or the court. Police have been asked in recent press conferences if, there, if the other two guys could have helped David. Could they have been involved somehow? But police have been tight-lipped on everything. And now, that's because there's not been a trial for this case. At the beginning of 2020, the defense team actually asked for an extension, basically saying they needed more time before starting a trial or starting the process. So, who knows what else they found. Who knows what that could mean for the defense. But due to COVID-19, the trial has been pushed back a few times. But as of right now, there will be a status hearing on July 19th of this year. This is where it will be decided if the case will go to trial or not. David could enter a plea of guilty and then we could never find out more about this case, which honestly is a fear, I think, for the family and for anyone invested in this case because we want to know more. We want to know why. We want to know what happened. Now, but at the same time, David has maintained his innocence. So he may want to go to trial and fight this. Really only time will tell. And I want to say that I will be sure to post updates on the podcast Instagram, which is killer.kind.pod, or we may could do a follow-up episode when more information comes out if there's enough to kind of do an episode on. So I Head over to the Instagram and let me know what you would want me to do. Would you want just post updates on Instagram or would you want another like follow-up episode? I would love to know. So with that technically being the conclusion of the case and there really not being more information, I kind of wanted to jump into some theories or, or what we think might could have happened. And like I said, I would love to see what your thoughts are on the Instagram page, but I want to kind of give a few options here and just kind of give you an idea of what I think could have happened. Now, it's pretty clear that Savannah was just picked up by the wrong guys, and that's obvious. But what could have happened? What could be the reasoning behind this? You know, why did David do this? Were the other two guys involved? Like I said, I want to know your thoughts, but... But here's mine. So I'm thinking, I really do believe maybe the guys actually left. I don't know that they're involved. If they are in any kind of way, maybe they witnessed maybe some 
some sort of negative reaction or negative interaction with David and Savannah. But like I said, I don't really think that they were involved. Just because the neighbor ends up seeing David alone pretty much going back and forth to his home barely early on that morning. And if these two guys were involved, I think that they would have been seen by neighbors that morning helping David. Now, here's a couple scenarios that clearly sometimes we'll hear on other cases like this. Now, one of two things. I'm thinking that it was somewhat of an accident. I don't believe that they intended on killing her. I could totally be wrong. But my theory in a situation like this, which I've heard other cases similar to this, where, you know, girl or guy goes back to someone's house and seems to be great, seems to be, you know, having a good time, and then something takes a turn at some point. It just takes a turn. And that's kind of what I think happened. I believe that Savannah maybe declined David's efforts, maybe, or, you know, maybe they tried some drugs. Maybe he was doing some drugs and she didn't want to. You know, I think it's something along those lines. Now, I'm just speculating, but I don't believe it was intentional. I don't believe taking her home that night at 3 a.m. that he planned on killing Savannah. I don't believe that. However, he did it. We know that. It's pretty clear. You know, the rug found at the scene was very similar to David's. And, And one thing I didn't mention earlier was David actually sent a text to his sister, very clearly implementing him in the crime because he says, hey, where did you get your rug from at your house? So police, when they pulled David's phone records and saw this, she said, Walmart. So what do they do? They go and pull surveillance footage from Walmart and they see David buying a pretty much identical rug from the one he had in his room that Savannah was buried with. So there we go. We know David did this. That's not the question here. The question is why and what happened. So again, I've given you my theories, but I would love to hear what you think happened and just your thoughts on the case completely. Again, you can head over to Instagram page at killer.kind.pod or you can check out the website at thekillerkindpod.com. There is a case suggestions tab and you can leave case suggestions or you can leave just comments on this case too. But that's it for me guys. Episode one, it wasn't very long, but there really wasn't a ton of information like there would be on other cases that aren't quite as recent. But since this one was pretty recent, I wanted to kind of do this one first just to kind of keep the word out there and just let you guys be able to follow along in the news as it happens. That being said, if you want to follow along with the case, you can actually go to the Remembering Savannah Facebook page. Savannah's family started this when she initially went missing, but they keep up-to-date information on this Facebook page as well as they share missing persons cases every day. Every time one comes out, they share it on this page. So they're really being just an advocate for missing people and it's just so awesome as to what they're doing and I'm so happy for them that they have this outlet now that they can keep the voice out there for Savannah and help others as well. But again, guys, that's it for me. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please feel free to give it a five-star review on wherever you're listening, and I will see you back here again in two weeks. Thanks, guys.